0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I pray at this time that ultimately, uh, not my words, but that your living word, uh, Jesus your Son, would go forth, and that through the power and the presence of your Spirit, that that living word would indeed take root in our minds and our hearts, uh, our spirits, our lives, and bear within them. Uh, the fruit uh, of Your life and Your salvation. This I ask, this I offer, in the name of Your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we begin our reflection this morning from the first chapter of John's Gospel, I am reminded of a wonderful quote sent to me some time ago uh, by a friend of mine, And and it helps, I hope, to focus on this portion of amazing news that we received this morning and and what we hear and what we see held out to you and to me, um, news of salvation and power, uh, of love and and of grace, uh, and uh, perhaps possibility, possibly uh, the possibility of things uh, being different uh, and perhaps to be different uh, ourselves also. And the quote is from Karl Barth, and a name you may or may not know, Karl Barth was a Swiss Reformed um, theologian, and he was a pastor during the time of Hitler uh, and the Third Reich, and he was part of what is referred to as the Confessing Church, those who opposed um, Hitler and the Third Reich's desire to, quote, unite the Protestant Church um, under the Third Reich. In essence, of course, they they wanted the, the Protestant Church to be a mouthpiece for for Hitler and for um, his regime, and um, it wasn't a real hand-wringing decision um, for Bart and the others, but but also it was certainly a decision um, that came at at no um, short risk uh, and danger um, to themselves. And so Bart was a, a theologian during that time, and and toward the end of his life, a few years before the end of his life, he. Um, traveled to the States and, and spoke at a number of different universities and seminaries and lectures. And uh, I'm getting to the quote, uh, I promise. But the, uh, the, the portion of the quote that I'm going to read to you is in the question and answer section as he delivered lectures at the Princeton Theological Seminary, the Warfield Lectures. And in 1962, following his lecture to the students during the Q&A, one student asked him this question, what one thing, sir, would you tell a young pastor today, if you were asked, is necessary in this day and age to pastor a church? And his response is this, aha, so big a question. That is the whole question of theology, you see. I should say, I hope that during your studies, you have visited yourself earnestly with the message of the Old and the New Testament, and not only of this message, but also of the object and the subject of this message. And I would ask you, are you trained to visit not only yourself now, but a congregation with what you have learned out of the Bible and of church history and dogmatics and so on, having to say something, having to say that thing? And then the other question, are you willing now to deal with humanity as it is? Humanity in this 20th century with all of its passions, sufferings, errors, and so on, do you like them, these people? Not only the good Christians, but do you like people as they are? People and their weaknesses, do you like them, do you love them? Are you willing to tell them the message that God is not against them, but for them? That's the one real thing in pastoral service, and that is the question for you. If you go into ministry to do that work, pray earnestly. You'll do difficult, but beautiful work." And he goes on, "'But if I had to begin anew for myself as a young pastor, I would tell myself every morning, well, here I am, a very poor creature but by God's grace, I have heard something. I will need forgiveness of my sins every day, and I will pray, God, that You will give me the light, this light shining in the Bible, and this light shining into the world in which humanity is living today, and then do my duty. And that's the end of the quote that I share with you this morning it's, and I, not surprisingly I share that with you because it doesn't simply apply um, to pastors, it applies to us as Christians. It applies to us in our relationship with one another as Christians. It, re, it applies to us in our relationship with people um, who are not Christians, but a number of things resonate uh, and, and lead me to think, and among them this question, do you like them? And of course, we all know the answer to that is sometimes, Um, but he asked that question, do you you like them? Um, Do you love them? People as they are in their weaknesses, are you willing to tell them the message that God is for them, not against them? And I would think, uh, and I've proposed this to you, I I ask this of you this morning as we reflect together on the good news held out to us in John's gospel, is that a question that you sometimes wonder yourself? Uh, Does God love me? Does God love me? Is God for me? And I think we all um, know the answer, and we answer in the affirmative to say, well, well, of course, Um, but do you sometimes wrestle? Do you sometimes wonder I I can't help but and, and and thanks be to God when people share it because then you can address it. But whenever people say as they approach the end of life and they say, you know, I just hope I've done enough, uh, I just hope I've done enough. And of course, um, the answer to that is you haven't, um, and the answer to that is is you can't. Uh, and that's why the message of the gospel is just that a proclamation. Uh, but. Um, but God has. We are safe and we are secure, not in our performance, but in Jesus's. We are safe and secure, not in in our merits, but in the merits and mediation uh, of Jesus Christ. But when I hear people say, I hope I've done enough, in many ways uh, what I hear people saying is I'm not sure that God loves me. Uh, I'm not sure um, that that He's for me. I hope I've been good enough um, for Him to love me. I hope that I have been good enough for Him to be for me. Well, we'll pause there with that question for just a moment. Uh, Does God really love me? Is God um, really for me? And we'll continue with this amazing proclamation which John the Baptist makes, which is recorded um, this morning as uh, the context of what we're doing, the authorities from Jerusalem have sent messengers um, to John. Perhaps you remember right before the portion we read today, the authorities have sent messengers to John um, with the question, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Uh, The people of Jesus' day were people like you and me as well. They were people who were seeking. They were people who were looking um, for answers. They were looking Truth. They were looking for meaning. They were looking um, for hope. They were looking for all of these things. And so the messengers came from Jerusalem uh, to ask John the question: "Are you the one, um, the Messiah? Are you the one we've been looking for, God's anointed one?" And and John was clear: "I am not. Uh, I uh, am not. Um, But God sent me with a particular task, uh, and the task was to baptize with water, and that the time would come in God's timing." when the Messiah would actually be revealed, uh, and that time uh, we hear today John says has come because as Jesus walks by, um, John makes a a bombshell of a statement, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. is." I think we can agree that's, that's not a common greeting. Um, as Jesus is walking, behold the Lamb of God who takes away um, the sins of the world, it's a huge statement. Uh, which John makes. It's, it's one you better be right about. And John makes um, this statement as Jesus goes by. And in this statement, he's saying any number of things. Not only is he saying um, that the Messiah has arrived, but he's making a statement about you and me as well. And, and this perhaps is not a hard sell. Um, and yet in our lives, uh, sometimes by the way we live them, it seems to be. Well, one of the first things that John says in this statement, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Is that you and I are people who are sinful and broken, and that you and I are people who cannot save or deliver ourselves. He makes quite clear that that Jesus um, is the one who will take away um, the sins of the world. It's not you and me that can remove our sins from ourselves. It's not you and me who can save ourselves. It's not you and me um, who can reform and change our lives. We need someone from outside of ourselves to come into the world to accomplish what we cannot and this statement is first uh, a recognition that we are people in need of saving and that Jesus is, in fact, the Lamb of God, uh, He is the one who has come to accomplish that. And that, that statement, the Lamb of God, of course, you and I have a lot of time in between that statement and now to think about that, to process that, to understand um, what that means, but not surprisingly the people of Jesus' day, as they heard this message of the Messiah, as they heard this message of the Lamb of God, they were left to contend with, what type of lamb is this? Is this a sacrificial lamb? Is this um, a a warrior lamb? Who is this lamb? What is this lamb like? How um, will God um, deliver us? And what I lift up to you um, this morning, what we see at the very beginning uh, of John's gospel is the cross and the resurrection that Jesus has come into the world um, to be a sacrificial lamb, uh, that He has come and and through His sacrifice um, to reconcile us um, to God, to forgive our sins, to give hope and new life where otherwise there would be none. Uh, Jesus comes, in fact, um, from the very beginning we see the cross and the resurrection as Jesus comes um, to be um, the sacrificial lamb. And we ask the question, well, how… how does he? Uh, how does he do this? How does John know? And John actually um, tells us. He says God gave him. Um, I was going to say clear directions. They were clear directions, but a lot of details were omitted. Um, and John goes and he baptizes. But the word is given to John. This is how you'll know. As you baptize the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one. The one on whom you see the Spirit descend. And remain, um, this um, is the one, this is the Messiah, this is the one who has come um, to deliver you. And if you remember reading through the Old Testament, the the Spirit is certainly there from the very beginning as creation is brought um, into order and as different people throughout the Old Testament, men and women who were gifted in ways and flawed and frail and many others were equipped um, by the Spirit for a time. They were equipped for a time and they were equipped um, for a task. And uh, along the lines of, of the saying that God does not call the equipped, but He equips the called. Uh, the Spirit rested upon them for a particular time and for a particular task, but now we see the Spirit coming to dwell and, and to rest upon Jesus. And, and at the beginning of John's gospel as well, John makes clear that this gift of the Holy Spirit given to Jesus through Jesus will be given to you and to me as well. And that Spirit will rest upon you, and that Spirit will rest um, within us. From the very beginning of the gospel, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but he talks about that through Him, not only has light shined in the darkness that the darkness cannot overcome, um, but also that through Him, God gives us the right to become His children, His sons, Um, and His daughters. Children not born uh, of the will of man, but children um, who are born of God. This incredible message um, that goes out to us uh, to say that God uh, not only loves us, but He doesn't love us in a vague way. He loves us in a specific way. And the specificity by which His love is made known to us is by His coming into the world to be the Lamb of God. Through His willing sacrifice, um, you and I are made His sons um, and His daughters, uh, and the Spirit uh, is given to us not in a way which is partial and not in a way which is temporary, but in a way that remains and in a way which sustains us. And as the, as the gospel goes on, we hear that um, once again Jesus passes John, and John again says these words, and some of John's followers begin to go out um, to Jesus. Jesus. Uh, and of course, we hear that Andrew goes uh, and finds his brother, um, Simon Peter, um, who when he is brought to Jesus, we see that Jesus already knows him. And Jesus not already knows him uh, from his past and what he is at the present, but also um, Jesus knows him in what he will become um, through God's grace uh, and through God's power. Uh, Peter, uh, if you remember, if you read through Peter's, uh, you know, his… Um, his, his, his CV has gaps. Um, there are some really strong um, points, but there are some definite gaps um, in there as well, and yet it's, it's God's grace um, that will work um, through him. It's God's grace that will make him um, his own. It's God's grace who will not only reveal in the lives of Peter, but to hold out um, to you and to me as well that phenomenal message to say, uh, does God love us? Is God really for us? Yes. And we know that not in a vague way, but we know that specifically through His cross and through His resurrection, that He's come in fact to be um, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who makes you and I His sons and daughters. And then um, that last question um, I leave you with, which is posed um, to Peter uh, and the others as they come to Jesus, and of course it's, uh, it's another one of those big, it's Existential Sunday. Um, it's another one of those big questions as Jesus asks them that question, what do you seek? And naturally, I ask you that question this morning, what do you seek? Why are you, um, why are you here today? What is it that you, in those quiet moments, what is it that you look for? What is it um, that you long for? And not surprisingly, Uh, I imagine you look for uh, a lot of the vain things that charm us most uh, in the words uh, of the hymn, and I'm I'm right there with you. Um, But when you get beyond that, what do you really long for? Is it security? Uh, Is it hope? Uh, Is it love? Uh, Is it certainty? I think we long for those things, and you and I are given those things. We're given them not because of uh, what we've accomplished uh, or or who we are, but because of the fact that not only do we seek God, but one thing that's made unmistakable in this gospel placed before us this morning and in the life and the ministry of Jesus, we hear um, not that we're seeking God, but that God seeks us. He comes into the world in the gift of Jesus, His Son, seeking you and me to enable us to be His Son's and His daughters, and and heirs and recipients of all those things that we seek and long for and need, and He extends those to you and to me uh, through His cross, through His resurrection. Uh, Through His blood, you and I are washed and restored, uh, and we are made His sons and His daughters. And as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I give You great uh, thanks and praise that in Jesus, Your Son, You make uh, unmistakable uh, your love and grace that you seek us and um, are for us. And I give you thanks and praise that uh, not only do you know us uh, as who we are, but, but what we can become uh, by your power and grace working in us. Draw us by your Holy Spirit um, to you uh, that we might know the security and the life uh, and the hope in the future which are found in you. This we ask, this we offer in the name of your Son